0: What a honk sounds like. Oh.
1: (laughs) Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel and where we exclusively support women's wrongs. This is what this whole episode is about. Women can do no wrong. I'm one of your Mm -hmm. female co hosts, (laughs) Alexis.
0: I'm Dallas. And I didn't know we were recording already, so that's on me. Um, Hi, I'm (laughs) Ann.
1: It's okay. We appreciated your little honk noise at the beginning. Perfect. (laughs) Hey, I don't think we got the honk noise.
0: I think we just got me explaining that was a honk. (laughs) It's
1: perfect. Perfect for this. Um, Mm. If our title did not give us away or my lovely rant about women's wrongs, which are inadvertently right, um, (laughs) this week we are covering arguably one of the most sneaky underrated comics that we have bamboozled ourselves into reading, um, Fatal by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. And when I tell you that I picked this because I liked the covers, I really did. I did that because I found it in the wild, randomly, like I think two years ago, and I skimmed the first volume because it originally was free on Comicsology Hot Take, which is by which I feel pained that it wasn't when we went back to it this time, but (laughs) I skimmed the first volume and I was like, this is really cool. Took a couple screenshots. It is my banner on Twitter slash X, the title, because I thought it was so cool forever years ago. Don't know if anybody knows that, but I just have to say it was a goodie. What did everybody think? I'll give a little summary in a second here, but just initial thoughts, everybody.
0: It's a it's a good comic. It was it was a lot of fun. And I'm glad I get to, to sit here in front of Dallas and say, hey look, I loved Ed Brubaker Baker and Sean Phillips here. This is this was Let's great. Go!
2: <laughs> Let's go. I knew it. I knew it. I was four pages in this one. I was like, finally, know noir
0: and we'll like. <laughs> I had to give exactly one thing to you, and I got you. I got I got you.
1: Do you know why? This, it's because it's a girls, girls, girls comic.
0: Because it's a girls, girls, girls comic. Girls, girls, girls. <clears throat> the girls win. The girls <laughs> win. Fuck yeah. So, I knew I was in the bag for
2: this. I knew. I love Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. Everything they've ever made, I have loved. No exceptions. I knew I was going to love this. When I found out They did an H.P. Lovecraft noir starring a femme fatale as the lead instead of the supporting character. I was like, okay, I'm in. What I didn't anticipate was this becoming one of my all-time favorite Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips comics. I thought this was going to be good. This is now a will never leave my shelf in my lifetime book. Like this is a heart comic now. And I think, now this may be a little controversial out in the sphere, I think this is the very best comic to hand someone to show them what Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips are all about. Because you get all of their genres. Whatever someone likes best, whatever volume of this someone likes best, tells you what to hand them next. If they like the first volume best, hand them the fade out. If they like the second volume best, hand them one of their other projects. (laughs) If they loved the cowboy story, hand them... Oh, I'm sorry. No. If they loved volume two, hand them Reckless. If they loved volume three, hand them to uh, Pulp. If they loved volume four of this, hand them Criminal. If they loved volume five of this, well, they probably just loved Fatal. But it's... Or even Night Fever. Hand them Night Fever if they loved Volume 5. Like, whatever you love in this book, this felt like a roadmap for the next 10 years of Brubaker and Phillips' time at Image Comics. And finding out that this was actually... Now, in hindsight, Criminal is printed by Image Comics, but Criminal was not originally an Image Comic. This was the Image Comics debut of Brubaker and Phillips. And so then to see that it really is a roadmap for everything they've done since... It's fantastic, and I think it's cool. This came right before the fade out, which is the last book of theirs we did. So, just great talents, great book. I knew I was going to love it, but I was truly, truly, truly blown away. One of the best we've read this year.
1: Oh, that makes me so happy because I'm the one that picked it <laughs> purely off of vibes. Um, actually, let me let me re- revise that statement. I found I did find this. I did. See, I was attracted to it initially by the art and the images and the cover images. But really reading Fade Out and actually enjoying that story and then realizing, oh, this is the same creative team, that really is what drove me to put it on our schedule. Because I was like, oh, I've had this sitting in the wings forever that I've known about, but I've never read the whole thing. And when I tell you this... Artwork and also storytelling is some – I mean, Dallas put it perfectly. Like, this is honestly probably one of the best comics I've read this year. And I – if it's okay, I would love to give a little summary for everybody. This is something we're trying to do a little bit more to make it approachable for everybody. A non-spoiler summary, hopefully. I do get a little wild. But so if you like what you hear with the summary, give us a pause. Read her up read through all of the volumes or five volumes and then come back and listen, to the rest. So to start us off, we, um, fatale revolves around our main femme fatale, if you will, Josephine or Joe, she's referred to often throughout the five, um, volumes. Bottom line something that we learn quickly and also that I find super interesting. What are you doing, Dallas? Um, (laughs) <laughs> something I find super interesting she doesn't age and I feel like for a second it took me to, it took me a second to like get my footing into the story of like oh like we're jumping back from different timelines we're doing all these things with all these different characters which was super interesting and she has this very she has this very interesting pull if you will on both men and we do see it in women a little bit um, but they basically lose kind of – I don't want to say their grasp on reality, but kind of like their grasp on themselves and like their self-control, if you will. They basically bend their lives to fold around her and her – she very much draws them in like the sun, if you will, and the planets. She's has these people revolving around her at all times. She's very um, magnetizing. And we have her set up as our main character. And then we also have this background cast of characters that are super interesting. And like Dallas has mentioned before, it has a very Lovecraftian horror vibe to it as well with a very dark and scary cultist group that comes up time and time again throughout the run. Um, They're they're kind of – I would say the, definitely the leading villain group, if you will. Um, they come back time to time again. Their leader pops up throughout the entire thing. He's a very interesting character. Um, and basically he's introduced as this character who has an extreme obsession with the fact that she is immortal she will come back time and time and time again. And it has created this more or less never ending game between the two of them of just hunting her down through his violent cult group. Um, and the story spans over decades. There's all these characters that are all intertwined and it all comes together in the last volume. Um, how you see everybody is, is intertwined. Um, but it just it's just so well crafted in the perfect mix of Noir and also the Lovecraftian, and just like the suspense of having this extremely interesting main character in Joe with a such a well thought out and f- also fleshed out story of something that i've I feel like is so original with like this concept of her never aging and going through this life and interacting with all these different ages and times that are, I feel like very integral and classical noir decades, if you will, of her story. Um, and I just feel like it's something so fun. And there really is something for everybody in all the different books, exactly like what Dallas said. And it really is the perfect gateway into Baker and Phillips. But I feel like, for me, that's what I'll leave with our little summary for the time. Uh, I feel like I'll open the floor, if you will, to our next part of our of our show, the collective opinion. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs>
0: <sighs> okay, so the this is a really, really interesting story to me. And it caught me right off the, the bat because um, someone was talking to me about it and told me that this story was basically taking a look at the classic literary trope of the femme fatale and presenting this character, this traditional femme fatale, um, our Josephine, who is pretty much our protagonist, even though we don't really get to see her perspective. We we get a lot of the stories around her. But truly, she is like the one through line in the story. And she plays that role of the femme fatale, which for anyone that doesn't know, is a literary trope where there is a dangerous, typically sexually promiscuous woman who um, basically is a black cat walking across the lives of anyone that she interacts with. It's a very common trope in the noir genre. And... A lot of times we see this character as just the the pitfall for for the male protagonist. She is the she is their downfall, she is to be avoided. It has a lot of really interesting um, bits of commentary about how we view women and how we view sex, and how we view um, them in this literary perspective as. A bad thing as something that is to be avoided, as something to be is, um, sorry, as something that should be avoided, something that can be a distraction, something that will inevitably lead to you failing in whatever you're trying to do. It's a really, really interesting take on characters. And if you're a comics reader, you'll be familiar with the trope from characters like Catwoman, um, Black Cat. Um, they come up a lot. I would argue maybe even Emma Frost could be considered one. But they just have that sort of allure about them, like the the siren. And one of the things that Ed Brubaker did when he did this series is he wanted to take that trope and be like, what if this trope was a literal character who we could view as the sympathetic lead of a story? And what would that look like? And... That's one of the things I appreciate the most about it, because when you have a trope like that that has been so utilized and so, you know, overdone in so many aspects of of literature, especially in a genre that Ed Brubaker has is well familiar in and is well trodden as the noir genre, he to have him subvert it like this is a really really fascinating and difficult thing to pull off, especially in the way that he did. This was something that could have gone wrong a thousand times over. But I think it really, really works because Ed Brubaker manages to not only humanize an actual metaphorical literary trope, which is an insane concept to me, I adore that to death, but also manages to stay completely true to the noir noir genre while he's doing it and uses it to actually... (laughs) say something in regards to the trope and i think that was that was really really lovely we get to we can talk about it later but i keep thinking about that final issue and the lead-in with the the story about the the maiden and the dragons and how it kept happening over and over again and i'm just yeah i've 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 gone on for a bit i want to come back and and talk about that story but i want to let dallas say something first this comic is good period mark Okay, cool. That was it. That was um, Dallas's perspective. So thank you very much. Yes, you're welcome. Um <gasps> I had to take a breath. Okay, we're fine. Everything's good. I, like I said at
2: the top of this, I really loved this comic book. I love the exploration of all these different noir eras. I love the sense of time and place in every single era I think our main character, Joe, is one of Brubaker's strongest and something really interesting going through and reading some interviews from Brubaker about this book, especially at the end of the book. He talked about how much he fell in love with Joe as a character and how grateful he was to her for teaching him how to better write female characters. And I think... You can really see the difference in his female characters after this book versus before this book. And this is certainly the place where, I mean, I think this is, this and Velvet are the only two of his books that I can think of with a female lead. There is a reckless, one of the reckless novels, Forefronts, the female Deuteragonist. But he, he writes a lot of boys, boys, boys comics. And noir as a genre is pretty regularly boys, boys, boys. So I think to take this book, flip that on its head, and then also flip the noir genre on its head and give this an upbeat ending was really interesting. Because something Brubaker talked about as well is how after spending all this time with Joe, because this book was originally only supposed to be 12 issues. And then it got extended to be 24 issues because he just couldn't put it down. Like volume four was not supposed to happen with the band in the nineties. And he was like, we need, he's like, it doesn't make sense to go from the seventies to the 2010s. We need a nineties volume. And I need a little bit more time to flesh out what Joe looks like when she's not trying to keep herself under control. Like we've never seen that before. And he's like, Oh, and amnesia is a great noir trope. i want to use that. But he just, Clearly didn't want to say goodbye yet. And so by the time this book finished, he didn't want to give her a sad ending. He didn't. And like, we've all read The Fate out here. That is a sad ending to that book. And he just couldn't do that to Joe. And I thought that was so great. And I just, can we talk a little bit? I'd love to hear from both of you, honestly, because I have no idea what Alexis' relationship with Lovecraft is, but I know Anne likes it the blending of noir and Lovecraft is brilliant because like they both are born out of the same era of America and the same sort of like seedy underbelly of the world. And I just like something about Nazi Cthulhu's and 1950s noir guys just sold me so hard. And every time these freaky deaky dudes showed up and then the few few times that their heads turned into tentacle guys I was like this is the greatest comic ever written so i i need to hear from both of you what you thought of the lovecraft of it all
1: i feel like i definitely have consumed a significantly less amount of lovecraft in my literary adventure of life um but i do we have touched on it a couple of times with a few different comics that we've read uh specifically, like die is coming into mind. We've talked, we had a pretty big conversation about it with that. Um, but I completely agree. I feel like these were like the perf, like this was the perfect mashing of two different media. Like to have the noir with the Lovecraftian and then be the villain. Like, that was so cool. I definitely agree with the whole Cthulhu villain thing with him being in the noir- I loved it. This was great. 10 out of 10, no notes. <laughs> Fabulous.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. How about you, Anne? What did you think of the Lovecraft of it all?
0: Oh, sorry. I realized I was still on mute. Um. Yeah, <laughs> my relationship with Lovecraft is long and storied. And just like Lovecraft's work, complicated to engage with. Um, Lovecraft is one of those authors that has... Definitely had a huge impact on the horror community, especially. But with the benefit of time and hindsight, a lot of his work leans into a lot of xenophobic and flat-out racist and bigoted um, ideologies and stereotypes. It's the whole fear of anything I don't understand. And it's like, anything I don't understand is weird and gross and scary, and I don't want to engage with it. Ew, ew, ew. And... He accidentally used that to create some of the coolest monsters and cosmic concepts ever made. So, unfortunate, but we're here. And I think one of the cool things about Fatal is that it uses this concept of the unknown and these gross, violent, and ruthless creatures that just adore cruelty and everything that comes with it. feel like a very apt stand-in for, like, um... (laughs) I don't want to, I, part of me wonders if they're meant to be a stand in for the reader in some way, because a lot of times when I think about tropes like this and what they have to say and people that engage with them are like, yes, this is exactly what I need. Please give me the violence. Give me the gore. Give me the heartbreak. Give me the pain. Give me all of it. Everything that this woman goes through in the story is for my benefit specifically And that is what the monsters kind of felt like to me, because their whole point in the story is to, one, cause havoc, indulge in pleasures as they go, and, you know, sacrifice a dame or two along the way. That's just what they do. They always side on that, you know, that edge of violence, on the edge of darkness. And... A lot of times when I read noir, I feel like that's, you know, that's part of the appeal of it is there it's gritty. It's got this realness to it and it's going to leave a body count. And um, to me, the ongoing struggle between Josephine and the main cult leader who I do not remember if he ever gets a name. I just call him bad luck. Bishop. Bishop. Okay. Got it. I don't have to call him bad luck McGee anymore, but that's, That's basically what he is, anyway. So we keep calling him Bad Luck Fucking McGee. Poor, (laughs) not poor guy. He's an asshole. Loses his eyes, gets burned, just loses all joy for life. It's awful. I I love the scene where he's like getting out of the shower as an old man, and he's all burnt up, and he has no eyes. But the women dressing him are still naked anyway. It's like you can't see them. What's the what? What are you doing here? What's the point? And the point is, you know, the gratification, the, the the pure. Shock of it. He is here to indulge. And so he is going to do that no matter what. And so I really liked the idea of him being the antithesis to Josephine, who is, unlike most femme fatales, one who gets away, one who survives, one who continuously on and on and on goes through all the motions except for that very last one where she is supposed to, her story is supposed to end. She just keeps going. And she can't go out on her own conditions. The only thing that will take her out is when the cult has had enough. And they're like, okay, it's time to sacrifice you and we'll start again. We'll move on to the next one. And so I think using the monsters and the Lovecraftian existentialism of that in the face of Josephine, our protagonist, to be like, wow, I'm really up against a universe that just wants me To have all this heartbreak forever. And I thought that was so, so, so smart. And so well done. And definitely didn't cause me to have my own existential crisis or two this week. It's fine.
1: It's so true. And I really have to say, like, I... It's refreshing to have a woman be treated relatively well by the person who wrote her. (laughs) I would say very good. Uh... But really, though, you can tell, like, this is a character that was appreciated. Like, I mean, you said it, like, it was supposed to be 12 issues, got extended to the 24, has a beautiful ending to this character that I feel like is very well deserved. And something also that's very refreshing, especially in noir, I mean, it's not a secret that a lot of noir has, like, your quote unquote femme fatale is dead in the first issue. And that's the whole point of the story. It's like, oh, what happened to this beautiful blonde woman? Like, it's refreshing to have her be Uh protected. (laughs) Like, she has been through terrible things. She has had these horrible experiences. But to have her be a fleshed out character, have her have purpose with her story and have her take back her narrative was Mm -hmm. very refreshing. And I, yeah, no, I, I loved her as a character.
0: It's, I think bringing that something you said made me think about it. I think there's also a really, really great intersection there between noir and horror where they're both two genres where women are constantly punished for both their gender and their sexuality, their, their promiscuity. It is the, you know, the common trope in horror movies where the first person that dies is typically the slut. The, the character who sleeps around the most. That is... They are the first ones to go. Um, Cabin in the Woods. All about it. Love. That... Speaking of which, another great takedown of stereotypical tropes. Great. As long as you pretend that it was just Drew Garter that wrote it. as No one else wrote that movie. Um, yeah. It's... It's it's really interesting. And I think it's... You're talking about Ed Brubaker treating her with care. It's because narratively he had to because if he he was going to look at like the trail of bodies that this trope has left behind it to humanize it you have to care about it and he definitely cared about josephine and making this a story where she has to win at the end thereby undermining and subverting everything that this trope typically means is it's what sells the story it's what makes the story you couldn't do it otherwise because you can't subvert a trope and then still end with that trope Ending the same way it normally does, you know? I would agree. I think
2: going off something that you said, and this book is absolutely about female sexuality and men's relationship with female sexuality, where like so much of the hardship in Joe's life has to do with how men sexually desire her. Mm -hmm. And especially in volumes four and five, we start to get into how men violently desire her. And how, like, I think a lot about that bit from the 1930s when the guy, she has the black eye and she's in that truck and the guy is going to take her somewhere. And it's the first time she kills herself because for so many men, the only way they know how to interact with that feeling of desire is to be violent towards it and to punish Mm -hmm. it because they they feel the need to punish themselves. They don't want to punish themselves. So they punish the object of desire. And I think to make that an integral part of the finale of this book in so much that our big triumphant moment is a saga of the swamp thing style, existential time and space tripping (laughs) sex scene, but where the woman is the central point instead of the swamp monster it's it's incredible, and I think Brubaker and Phillips are never have never shied away from sex and sexuality. Characters are always having sex in their books, um, but it's always very male gazey. And I'm mm. not going to say that Fatal wasn't male gazey in its portrayal of sex, but I think its themes and its grappling with how that affects Joe was by far, in my opinion, the most progressive voice on this that I have seen from this pair and from the genre as a whole. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I can't think of a lot of other noir or horror other than maybe, like, Jennifer's Body that is about the reclamation of female sexuality. And I thought that that was a stunning through line in this book.
0: Great call out. But, you know, anytime someone mentions (laughs) Jennifer's body, I'm happy. So great movie. I don't
2: know what I I mean, I'd love to ask the women in the room. Like, what did you think of Joe's relationship with sex and just the sexuality of women in this book?
0: I mean it's it's really interesting there are a lot of scenes where she feels like she is in control of it and I think control is another really big theme of the story which you know telling this metaphorical tale of a <laughs> of a literal literary symbol gaining you know a life and an arc and sentience all this fun all this fun jazz I think the idea of control and seeing her try to use that as the one thing that she has to, to own the, the one thing that's hers, the scenes of, um, like, some one of her favorite things to do, sorry, just trying to, like, frame the way I'm going to say this. One of her favorite things to do is just to go swimming naked in the moonlight. And that is, like, a recurring moment that she treats as something that is just specifically hers. And it's where we see her be the most free. It's where we see her be the most um, carefree. And it's where it looks like the story ends. And I think that's just this moment of pure calm, pure serenity, where she is allowed to be herself. She is allowed to bask in her own femininity and be on her own and have no one lusting over her, no one going crazy for her, because it's the one thing she has that's still hers. And so I liked the angle of her embracing like, her gender from that perspective. I thought that was really cool. I, I think a lot in the story, Baker does really well. I'd definitely be interested to see what, like, a more feminine take on this concept would look like. Because I do think a lot of the times we we still get that male gaze aspect. Where it's like, there is a reason why Josephine is the only character we see naked, like, full on. And none of the guys are... They're all a little camera shy, below the waist. It, it's fine. Um, but I would... I I think they did a a really great job in in handling a lot of this.
2: Well, I think the bathing in the moonlight is so interesting because Mm -hmm. Josephine gets to luxuriate in a kind of safety that women don't have in our real world. Yeah. Like the idea that she by herself as a beautiful woman can go and just skinny dip in the ocean without having to be worried about what's going Mm -hmm. to happen to her is it's a complete fantasy (laughs) like the i was really struck reading this book immediately after i had a really fun halloween with my wife and she she wore a little bit more risque costume than usual and she she just made like an offhanded comment she's like oh i'm glad i'm going to this party with you because like otherwise i don't know that i'd feel safe just like going out in this tonight And, like, it wasn't even that crazy. Like, it was a little bit risque. And I was like, that's so... I mean, just being a man in the room here, but, like, it's so crazy Mm -hmm. that that is something that is such a worry. And, like, I... I mean, I had my shirt unbuttoned to my navel and I didn't feel threatened at all. I felt perfectly safe. Like, I can walk around. I can do whatever I want. I can wear whatever I want. And I think seeing Josephine have that kind of power that's usually reserved for men, and especially where it's put her in the typically masculine role of the lead of a noir, it feels very intentional. Mm -hmm. And I, before I pass it off to Lexus, I, I want to mention as well. I think one of the most jarring and interesting scenes in this whole book is when she says that a man tried to sexually assault her and everyone in the room believes her. And it's because of her power and, the other woman in the room almost sees it as like scary that everyone believes her. Mm-hmm. And it's like the horror of her control to make everyone believe and take her side in sexual assault it was just like such an interesting tangled web where like, that might be one of those powerful things she's ever done <laughs> is make a room full of straight men believe women for five
0: seconds. You know, especially when the guy was their friend. <laughs>
2: Yeah, like it just it was it's crazy. It it feels I feel like I keep saying like revelatory revolutionary, but I just I've never seen anything else like this in this genre.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, this genre to to go off of that. Yeah, this genre is not something that explores that whatsoever. Like this, I feel like it has been mentioned a couple times by like myself and Anne throughout the past of our past couple of noir reads, like the female characters are very disregarded often. Like they are not even they're basically like a pretty lamp in your office. And then if that lamp tipped over and was like broken, you'd be like, no, oh, okay, well, get a new lamp. You know, that's how I feel about women. That's how I feel women. women are written in noir. But I this.
2: Lex, real quick. I don't remember who it was, but there's some female writer that calls that the sexy leg lamp test.
1: That's exactly what I had in my mind. I was like, that's the sexy leg lamp.
2: Yeah, it's if you could replace your female lead with the sexy leg lamp from Christmas <laughs> Story and the story doesn't change. You have not written a convincingly. A convincing <laughs> uh-huh. female
1: lead. That is exactly how I imagine that. That's hilarious. I didn't know that was real. That makes that extra funny. Sexy leg lamp, everyone. That's what women in noir are. Not, But not here. Not here. <laughs> she, if anything, you could replace a lot of the men with the sexy leg lamp. And I think that's how it should be. Like 70s actor. Mm. Sexy <laughs> leg lamp.
0: Ask me to name any of them.
1: <laughs> when she sees him floating in the pool and is like, hmm.
0: And then she and just walks away. away. She just walks
1: away. <laughs> <laughs> and he like had gone on this like secret like super secretive mission for her and she was like oh good for him and, like picks up the book and leaves i was like yeah
2: i do I think you. it's so interesting her love from the war
1: that uh, then like mm-hmm. aged
2: out and became bitter mm-hmm. that was such a, like this book is great Walker? because i want more of everything yeah, yeah like, i want to understand more of this sacrifice dynamic that the cult has with these women and how that all works. Because we met three women in this book that have the same thing. And then there was the offhand comment how there was a woman in Japan who was the same way, and that one was successful. And I just like... No, that one failed. What... She no, got it...
0: devoured. It was yeah, well, the, uh, successful the for the cult. Bishop had a rival. Yeah, okay, got it. Successful for the cult. Yeah.
2: um But... Like I wanna know more about her relationship with this guy from the forties. I wanna know more about this band from the nineties. Like I every era has a thread that I wish we had more of, and I think that's perfect.
1: Mm-hmm. Every era needs another volume. Thank you.
2: Taylor Swift <laughs> Era store is fatal. <laughs> hey, what did
0: we th- <laughs> like Lexi, you mentioned I, I think it's because I read volume one like maybe a month or two ago and I just finished the rest of it this week. Was there ever a moment where her powers worked on a woman? Or was this very, very, very straight? No.
2: Um, Ed oh, Brubaker was. was like Ed, I read about this in an interview. Ed Brubaker was like, I was disappointed that no one picked it up that the um, uh, the maid was a lesbian that was under her yeah, spot. Yeah, that's what I She's thought like, too. The, Mona, the when she maid, jumped
1: in front of the
2: The app. maid in volume 2? Oh, 70s. okay. Got it, got it, got it, got <laughs> it. Is yeah. totally in love with Joe and is a yeah. lesbian. He's like, no one okay. called that out. He's like, I was disappointed. I thought Ugh. someone would pick up that she was under her spell.
0: I totally. Yes. That makes so much sense.
1: <laughs> that makes me feel good. Cause I was like, this girl is doing the most. <laughs> I would be bolt- dead bolting my door. If there was cultists bursting into my, my boss's house, I'd be like, Hmm, she don't pay me enough.
2: Oh, <laughs> the
0: gardener that doesn't go home. Oh, I, I'm looking at that page now. I didn't realize she shoved her. Yeah. Okay, now yeah. I see it. Now well, I she get it. All jumps
1: the into that box. Like, anything for you, boo-boo.
0: <laughs> oh, I should have picked up on that. I'm mad at myself. But it's fine. It's fine. I'm glad Lexi got it, though. That's really cool. I'll
1: use my bisexual crumbs to pick up on those.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hey. also... I, I definitely think there's something in the like the tentacle monsters are the evil men to her, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. voluptuous, sexually liberated woman. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know
0: authors who use subtext and they're all cowards. <laughs> yeah, she's getting hunted down by Reddit incels.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: She is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this
2: book just captured so well, like, unfounded male desire. Yeah. The, like, falling in love with an idea of a woman and the sexuality of a woman, but not falling in love with a woman. Mm-hmm. Like, none of these men actually knew Joe very well. And I think, A, we want her mysterious to keep the book rolling. But then also, like, positioning all these men as the POVs in this story and just showing how they all fail to care about what's going on with her Yeah, is very telling, you know, like... It feels like an intelligent move to center them and have them not understand this lady and make us understand through context clues what's going on with her story.
0: You you know what I just realized that this reminded me of? It's that scene um, in Inside Out where there's the boyfriend machine and it just keeps pumping out all the guys they're like I will die for Riley. I will die for Riley. It's just that that's the whole thing. That's the that's the TLDR of Fatal. It's just everyone saying like, I will die for Josephine and they do. They all do. It's great. What do we think just cuz I'm I'm thinking about it at the moment. What do we think about the couple of characters who didn't fall under her spell?
1: <gasps> like the spooky little librarian?
0: I yeah. love him. Spooky little librarian and the Native American, <laughs> which, by the way, the the Western and the medieval parts were definitely my favorite. Oh, volume my three gosh. was definitely my favorite. They about ended in tragedy three for just
1: like 0. 0.5 seconds. Yes. Volume yeah. three was a banger. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "What is this little fantasy wonder?" in right in the middle here, this is wonderful.
0: Oh, they were so fun, but they did. <laughs> of course, we lost both of them, and I feel so sorry about it. But it was so <laughs> much fun along the way. Um I loved our our secret woman and I loved um I I loved so much that the librarian was one of the people to get past her cuz I be- I loved the idea that the one person who could get around a literary trope personified would be a literal librarian. I thought yeah. that was a little tongue in cheek and funny.
1: <laughs> I thought that was funny too. I loved like their interaction at uh the auction where she's just like, "Hey, Hey, big boy. <laughs> do you want to buy me that book? And he's like, like, Girl, what the hell are you doing? Like, oh, wait for me.
2: <laughs> Relatable. The only yeah. thing that can come between me the and a hot just... lady is a book. <laughs> True. <laughs> I got two loves, books and hot ladies. Books were supreme. No, Especially kidding.
1: when your wife looked like the main character in this book.
2: <laughs> listen, listen, she do. I felt, I was like, I'm spending time with my wife.
1: Is <laughs> uh, <God. laughs> riding in the closet reading the comics.
0: <laughs> she is my same hotel.
2: She is. I was like, I understand the spell. I understand the spell.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> it happened to you me. You will move across <laughs> the B- country B- happily. Mm-hmm. A <laughs> 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 little country bumpkin, bumpkin will all of a sudden be living in downtown New York City. Ooh.
0: love the word bumpkin. We should use the word oh, okay. bumpkin more often. He's a bumpkin. So I think the other thing I wanted to talk about was just Sean Phillips' art and uh-huh. especially the celestial sex scene because... Stunning. Good. Yeah. It's like Sean Phillips has a great art <laughs> style for noir. It's very, you know, it's, it's a little bit choppy. It's a little... it's It's got some sharp edges. I love it. Um, but that celestial scene where I'm like, okay, yeah, he can really... He can really fire it off. I think anytime I see an artist actively shape, change genres in the middle of their work and do it flawlessly and you're like, "This, it, the art is still magnificent, I think that's proof of genuine talent. And I was, I will be singing his praises long after this book. The ability to draw Lovecraftian
2: horrors and not lose the mystery is stunning. Yeah. Like the idea to make... To make it always seem like we are standing behind them and just seeing their shadowed silhouette as they do their things. Mm -hmm. So smart. Because, I mean, that's the big failure of adapting Lovecraft, is the second we see that monster, it is not a cosmic horror anymore. It's just action tentacles in space. Yep. And I just... I love... We will come back to Sean Phillips, but I want to point out really quick volume one of this Dave Stewart who they worked with for a million years. And then this is the series where the changeover to Elizabeth Brightweiser happens, the colorist for Fatale. or I'm mm-hmm. sorry, for the fade out. I think her colors on that cosmic sex scene are honestly what sell the whole thing. Like the, the page where Josephine is, walking through space nude and then the background is the gaping maw with the teeth and all of the cosmic horrors behind it. Mm -hmm. That's a stunning drawing from Phillips. But the color work on that from Breitweiser is what makes it what it is.
0: I would agree. A thousand percent. Who did the lettering in this? Sean Phillips does his own lettering. Okay, because I was going to say, I think I, I, I had a lettering, like, realization as I was going through, which I'm like, oh, that means I'm growing. I'm I'm learning. I'm, I'm a big girl now. I notice lettering things. I loved that every time the – um and now that you tell me it's Sean Phillips, it makes so much sense. Every time the bishop spoke, his word bubble was so much thicker and sketchier than everyone else's, and I love that because it – really sells his voice, even though I don't think the actual lettering itself changes, just the word bubble does, and it still has a visible impact. At least we can see it, and it's not just blending into the shadows.
1: Yeah, it's got like a big, thick, like, black circle around it. It's like, it oh feels, yeah, like, violent.
0: And all the word bubbles are just kind of the same sketchy style as his artwork, and I can definitely understand how, like, if you did just normal, simple, round word bubble, it would probably stand out. Really, really obviously against the backdrop that is Sean Phillips. So I think it's very smart to make the the word bubbles match his style. It blends in that way. feels like it's part of the story.
2: And since Anna's not talking about letters, can I say something and no one freak out? Can I say mm-hmm. something without getting in trouble?
0: Okay. You have a pass. Just, I'm scared,
2: us. but yes. Sean Phillips draws the best nipples in comics. Anyway, we're going to move on. We're going to move past this.
0: Do <laughs> no, we have to? I have
1: that thought <laughs> Let's too. Let's talk so. about that.
2: Every time a titty pops out in this book, I'm always specifically like Sean Phillips, whose, whose nipples are you referencing? Because
0: those are perp- that is the Euclidean nipple right there. <laughs> Sean Phillips is just sitting there with his shirt off. He just keeps looking down every five seconds. He's like, okay, got yeah, it. Sean, if those if that's how your nipples look, give me a call, Sean. That's crazy. <laughs> uh, we are wow. a professional podcast. Um, <laughs> we We keep it very professional here. Never, never tell jokes. Fine, we're good.
2: I'm glad that you all went there with me. I'm cool. glad I wasn't the only we'll one. We'll
0: accept it. Yeah, we've been on this, this is podcast a girls, 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 girls how long? podcast. Yeah, today, so. mm-hmm. girls, girls, girls. That means we, we talk about nipples. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: You're welcome. Let's talk
0: more about Volume Three
2: because Brubaker and Phillips don't do one shots really, mm-hmm. and so like, and this is something Brubaker talked a lot about in his interviews was how. Big of a departure this was for him and how excited it made him and it's something he's done since but this was the first time he ever was like we're gonna do once st- a bunch of vignettes back to back to back and i think it builds out a lot of the mythos while also just being fun contained stories and it, it also because they always looked like joe it really played with my mind a lot and kept the mystery going like this book did such a good job of keeping the mystery going Mm-hmm. Where I was like, has she been alive since the 1100s? Oh, no, it says she died. But, like, does she really die? Are these different personalities? Is she even herself different names? Like, I felt like this, it opened so many doors without it making it feel confusing. And then it would slowly shut them behind me and help me understand the path I was supposed to be following to understand Joe. To where, mm-hmm. like, I I feel like I get it by the end of the book without any big explainer reel, you know?
0: Yeah. Which is a benefit because I feel like the downfall of a lot of like horror, especially when you're doing like fun Lovecrafting things, is over explaining. Like I could care less about like the actual lore of Lovecraft. Like I don't care about his order of gods. I don't care about his his multiverse. I don't I don't give a shit about any of it to be honest. Because I feel like it takes everything that's special about those creations and turns them into a Wikipedia article. And I don't want that. The fun thing about horror is when you don't know what it is and you don't know how to stop it. The moment you turn it into an article, it's, it's done. It's over. It's part of the reason why Department of Truth doesn't click with me the same way it does with a lot of other people. But I think keeping the mysteries of who she is, who these women are, and who's chasing them and what they want so ambiguous throughout even the ending of the story just elevates it to another level. It's two genres working in perfect tandem to tell one cohesive story. I
2: agree. Do we feel like this was the right length for this series?
1: Uh, I wish it was a little longer.
0: See, that's Most that's the interesting like one. <laughs> because it's like i i feel like it could go on longer but i feel like if you go further than that then you start to get to a point where you've, you you got to break that last rule the last thing i just talked about where it's like you got to explain a little more you got to show talking? another backstory you got to show another whatever because how many different situations can you come up with to to tell the same thing you've been telling us this whole time you know yeah so i get why Cause and like Dallas said, it was extended by a volume just because he was having so much fun with it. But I don't know. I I think it's a pretty solid length for what we got. When they adapt
2: this, they should have Miriam Maisel play Joe.
0: <sighs> Gasp! Um, excuse you. She's Lois Lane now. She's got other comic things to I do. I will burn you. No, she's the
2: she's
0: Maisel. Are you she's kidding?
2: Miriam Maisel. Yeah. Until the day I
0: die Oh right Mm -hmm. Of course people can only be one thing Silly me I forgot Especially women Mm -hmm. Especially women Typecast Unforgivable But I think you're right she'd be really really good She would be really good What do we think of the overarching
2: mm, Modern day story In volumes one through four that then Volume 5 just becomes. Did we like that framing device?
0: Uh, I don't. Necessarily know. Because I, I, for me personally. I feel like it made it harder for me to keep track of. Over time. Because like I said I read Volume 1 like a month ago. And then I jumped into Volume 2. And I'm like I'm pretty sure I remember. Some of this. But then I just kept going. I'm like okay you know what. I have no idea what the over, what the overall line is. But at least this tells a contained enough tale that I can just still hop into it. I think overall, I would have liked a more, you know, A to B story. And if you're sitting down in one sitting, I think it's fine. I think it's completely fine. But I couldn't imagine reading this like month to month. It's one of those comics for me. This is definitely a like trade comic that's best enjoyed that way.
2: I would agree 100%. I read this over two days and I really enjoyed that.
1: I agree. Also, this it definitely felt like sometimes I got a little lost when we were jumping back and forth between like the present and the past, just a little bit.
2: I thought all the character designs were iconic enough that I didn't get lost very often. Like everybody was really recognizable, and that helped a lot. Like I, I knew what the '70s guy looked like. I knew what the '50s guy looked like. I look, I know what the modern guy looked like, and modern- they all. Were-
1: Sometimes tripped me up because initially I was like, Didn't you not have a leg 35 seconds ago? Where did you get that leg?
0: You prosthetic.
1: Uh, it, I, I got there eventually, but I was like, Wait a damn minute. This is I, the same guy.
2: <laughs> I loved, I felt so smart when I noticed they had tied him up in the hanging man position from his prosthetic. I was like, He's gonna let himself loose. I just mm-hmm. know it. And then he'd let himself mm-hmm. loose, and I was like, You're a Go wizard, Harry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. You see things that others
0: do
1: not. It's <laughs> just <This is> good. <sighs> Very good.
0: Good book. Blessings. I would advise people still typical noir tropes. There's a lot of graphic graphic violence and
1: Yeah.
0: um assault and things that you should be aware of if you're going to dive into the story. But I think it's worth it. It's cool and as hell. Think. Yep. And none of it feels mean-spirited. It all feels like this is just how it is we this is essential we and we i think it works kind of, just do what just do we just oh, we yeah, just but... kidnap
1: babies here just to do that in very violent ways
0: yeah um you will notice the collective is two for two in the last couple weeks <laughs> baby murder um we do not endorse said baby murder but we will read those stories um make no apologies here for it
1: please please leave please leave the babies alone thank you <laughs>
0: but yeah i i will (laughs) i'm sorry i was just scrolling through and i saw the one panel again of that one woman's torso i'm like sean phillips you dropped the ball exactly once (laughs) because that was was a funhouse mirror of a character you drew i i'm sure it was a like a a tuesday i'm sure this it was due the next day and you're like shit um this is what a waist looks
1: like not her
0: I I love it because it's like angled to like the left side. It looks like she's got really bad scoliosis. She does look, you know, maybe maybe she does. Maybe maybe we were doing some really extra (laughs) character work that I wasn't aware of. So it's fine in that regard. But just she has
1: got a little sassy pose. That's all.
0: The last thing I want to talk about before we
2: move on. How and how cool is it when the bad guys are cult Nazis? Mm. Like I. Love Nazis and the occult that we get to beat the shit out of. Like that that's yeah. one of my favorite genres. We're gonna get into that in Hellboy. Like this book was so hellboy coded it was
0: crazy. <laughs> I listen, I love making any bad guys Nazis because I know bad things are gonna happen to them and it makes it so much sweeter. Yes. So it's always a, it's always enjoyable. It's always a when Nazis are like
2: Wah! and then some tentacle comes out of the sky and ruins their day. Gosh, I love that. One of my favorite genders. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes they do that with Vladimir Rasputin, and then a little red baby boy comes through, and he's going to be named Hellboy, and he's going to love pancakes, and he's going to punch Nazis. He's going to sound like Ron Perlman. But he he absolutely got summoned through a tentacle portal. (laughs) The Nazis said, Tentacles, please, and they got given a hairy little boy.
0: That was just red. This, like, can we return it? This is not what we asked for. But I want to be—I want to be that guy, you know. I'm a—I'm a, They're like, I'm a Nazi, but I want to be that guy, you know. There's—there's there's a line we don't cross here.
2: I want Joe and Hellboy to hang out, and fight Lovecraft monsters. He would definitely fall for the spell, a thousand percent. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I just read Hellboy and Love. And listen, this guy gets down bad very easily. That does exactly. not surprise me in the least. He rules. Anyway, we have a good question from Glenn this
0: week. How Ooh. I can read it. Give me just a second. Mm-hmm. Our qu- question from Glenn this week. Thank you, Glenn, for writing in. Hi, Femme Fatales. One, Lexi. Now you've been made to read long, long runs a few times now. Have you gotten used to it?
1: Glenn, I don't know if that's the right question. I think the correct question is, is how good have I gotten at cramming the long (laughs) runs into two days of reading? I've gotten quite good at it, Glenn, and my comprehension skills would put a high school literary teacher into a coma. I have unlocked... My third
0: eye because of this podcast. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Cause we have another 30 issue run to read next week. So you yeah. Woof, woof,
1: woof. <laughs> Bring it on. Them.
0: This podcast has broken my brain
2: because 30 doesn't seem that long anymore.
1: No, it really doesn't. I'm like, that seems great.
2: It <laughs> depends on 30. who's Just writing I'm
1: in with my two novels. I'm tandem reading right now. That'd be great.
2: This was a heavy read that I did yes, not anticipate. It was. Like she each was a volume, chunky. Mm-hmm. each volume was about an hour dirty-ish? for me.
1: Pages, mm-hmm.
2: but even just like the narration, it mm-hmm. they felt like novels.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It felt like little mm-hmm.
0: novels that we were reading. Oh yeah, where it's like I would women
1: have a lot of complex thoughts when she's thinking <laughs> about her life.
0: Lexi, what is your what is your um regimen now? Do you still wait until the night before or? Have you stretched no, it out?
1: I usually will do two, like, long reads. I'll usually split it in half. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll do one probably, like, midweek, usually, like, Wednesday night or something, Tuesday night maybe, um, and then Saturday. Because I do laundry on Saturday, so, like, I'll put a load of laundry in and then sit down and then go get it and fold it and, like, sit down again. You know, like, yeah. a lot of hip hopscotching on Saturdays, but – and then on Sunday mornings if I had didn't finish the day before. I'm trying to be better, everyone.
0: What do you think has changed the most about you reading comics from when you started with Dallas, like, two and a half years ago, three years ago, to now? Just out of curiosity. I feel like,
1: me specifically, because I have a little bit of a, I don't want to say I have a chaotic life, because I really don't. I make myself have a chaotic life. I am a very chaotic person. And... I like to run around all the time. I'm basically – I'm like a little hamster that needs a little wheel and I just need to run around all the time and I don't ever actually allocate time to do things that I like. Mm -hmm. And so I really did like – I have to schedule my time to do these activities. Like I – I mean even like reading just like my other like novels that I'm reading. Like I am doing two hours of this this night, two hours of that this night xyz throughout the week you know i'm like i have the time to do what i want (laughs) i just need to trick my mind into knowing that i do otherwise i'll be on tiktok for six hours (laughs) so that's i really i'm budgeting my time to read the comics
0: (laughs) i need to learn from you because that's that's me and youtube i i get stuck there too often (sighs) i love youtube oh tiktok is my darling
1: I love the internet. I am just such a little internet leech. (laughs) They need to kick me out. It would be over for all the bitches out there if I got kicked off the internet. Thank you.
2: I love books. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Yeah, I do too. Okay,
1: I do too. I just finished another one today, and it was great.
0: I I can't. I I read a hundred pages of A Court of Mist and Fury last night, and I I told you. Probably going to read another hundred to tonight. Good, good. I got to the good. We're delicious. Listen, listen. The last you book. Know was... You know what she said to me today? What I You know what she said to me today? You can She say. goes,
1: I understand why you straights like this, like this Reese guy. I could marry him. We would never touch <laughs> yeah, each other, but I could I marry him.
0: <laughs> I did say that. I did say I would Roof marry Reese if he asked. Um. We would not have sex, but I would marry him for, for sure. A thousand percent. That is the mm-hmm. the level of commitment all, I feel towards this character.
1: Think of all the mental sexting you do. It's great. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. He would be sending me his little He'll notes teach you how I'm how like, to read. Hey, I can teach you how to lick. I'll be like, No, thank you. Mm-hmm. But we I'm can like, Netflix later if you want.
1: <laughs> can I text your friend more? Thanks.
0: 40, or Cameron, maybe.
1: Your
0: tiny, scary little second. <laughs> I, listen, yeah, everyone who's, who hasn't picked up A Court of Thorns and Roses yet, um, get through that first book so you can read the second book. It's
1: Lisa, this is for you. I promise you, <laughs> Lisa, it's not just movie. Beauty and the Beast. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, take, oh, Dallas, she I'm DM'd us so and she her goes, finish. Lexi, this is just Beauty and the Beast. What did you have me spend a credit for? I <laughs> said, hey now, lady.
0: She did say it like that. She did say this is basically... I know. She said it much more basically. sweet because she's but way nicer than I am. Because yeah. she's Lisa. And she's of Lisa. course...
1: You're in for it, Lisa.
0: <laughs> okay. That's great. But Second again. question from Glenn. Prefer my story's hardcover. The Fatal hardcovers are out of print. Any tips for collectors that are looking for out-of-print books? Um, if you, Have you considered sacrificing... Black-haired women to your Cthulhu gods. It might help. That That's all I got. Check local shops. Also
2: eBay. <laughs> eBay and local shops. Mm-hmm. And I really like Abe Books. A-B-E Books. They have recently... I don't know if they're just a United States thing though, Glenn. But they have recently helped me find a lot of out-of-print books for really good prices. Like I got a lot of Alex Toth stuff. For basically cover price. That's been out of print for a very long time.
0: So that made me pretty happy.
2: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: Just glad we didn't resort to the Facebook marketplace. That's fine. Finally. Third question from Glenn. Should Baker and Phillips work together more? I think they got something. Um, actually I don't think they should get together ever again. Actually um, I'm not feeling it. I don't, I hope they haven't worked on anything else together. Because like, that's got to be... <laughs>
2: Uh, Terrible pairing.
0: Not sure if it's going to work out for him. Lex,
2: their next book is called "Where the Body Was." It's a murder mystery, who done it, set in a neighborhood. God. So they find a body in a neighborhood, and they got You gotta, you, the reader, are supposed to try and figure out who, who done it. They've never written like that before. Okay, <laughs> comes out in January. Starting to like these people just a little bit. They're great. My favorite from them is probably Reckless. It's about this dude who is a professional problem solver in the 1970s. It's like volume two of this, set in the 70s, but more charming. And he has a spunky, purple-haired sidekick, and she sasses him. And he lives in a movie theater and drives a mystery machine-style hippie bus around. And he falls in love with beautiful women every ish every volume that break his heart somehow. I feel I feel confident saying right now that they don't die, but they might. I'm pretty sure they don't. But he always he always gets to this part where he just they always cold open the book with him in the worst spot. And then when you get to that at like the three quarters mark again, you're like, oh, no, now we're here. (laughs) He's just he looks like Steve Irwin. So it's like if Steve Irwin (laughs) just punched his way through his problems. I love him. (laughs) If he punched every crocodile he saw. It, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I love Brubaker and Phillips. Like I, they're my favorite team in comics. Mm-hmm. I would say Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, but they don't make comics anymore, bastards. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they make art? What is this? What is this back on hiatus bullshit? Oh wait, are they really back on hiatus? No, it's just there was a delay on the most recent issue by like two months. And now we're like back on the three months off before the next issue comes out again. And I'm just like, you had seven years, <laughs> you had seven years
0: hey, hey and you're already losing steam again. Enjoy it gonna- while you can. Your favorite comic gets to last longer. You get gonna- to enjoy it for longer. I'm going to throw a fit. good as, as long as we're not here you can you can throw the fit all you want so as it. soon as we leave you alone in this closet throw all the fit you want he just
1: turns the light off he just turns the light off and just
2: cries
0: both that's like both dallas and like his cat fun. just
2: look up the sky and scream <laughs> true oh it's God. like the most recent Baker phillips book night fever which ed brubaker described as his primal scream about how the how the last couple years have made him feel and boy howdy Reading Night Fever, you go, so true, bestie. I also feel shaken to my core. Is that a signed (laughs) book plate? Yeah. Yep. Nice.
0: I was using it as a bookmark in (laughs)
2: Fatal. That rules. Night Fever is very good. Lex, I think you might like Pulp. Pulp is about... It's set in the 1930s. It's about this old writer who writes cowboy stories, but it turns out they're about him. And so it's parallels of him as a young cowboy. And then him in the 1930s as an old man beating up Nazis. It's great. It's a 10 out of 10. Very good. It's a 10 out of 10 comic. I would read that. Real good. Add it to your list. Pulp, Sean Phillips, Ed Brubaker.
1: Okay. Wonderful.
2: That's all the questions we have today. Folks, that comic ruled.
1: Yeah, y'all need to actually like really though. Please go read it. Ten out of ten. Mm-hmm.
0: It was okay. So, ah. It was it was great. I'm sorry, Dallas. Dallas doesn't. Ah. Dallas wins this one. It was it was it was lovely.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: Ah. And you might win next week too, but we'll get there when we get there. I
1: reserve my opinion on that till next week. All we do
2: is win, 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 no matter what.
0: I Alexis, this is
2: next week we're covering one of the major runs that got me into comics. Like that that's what got me to heebie jeebies. It was in the very
1: ass little bug boy.
2: The very first handful of comics I had had one of these
0: issues in it. From Barnes mm-hmm. and Noble. Barnes okay. and Noble. It's okay.
1: I love that. It's song. not
0: the the typical punk ass little spider um, bug boy. It's bug just boy. an ass little bug boy. It's gonna be great. Mm. Yeah. I,
1: okay. I reserve the mm? I reserve the punk part. He he don't. He's not punk. He's just an
0: ass. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Dallas, yeah. let's roll
2: these credits so we can tell the people what's coming.
0: Okay, fine. Let's roll the credits. Why are you telling me? I don't start it. Lexi starts it.
1: I do. I'll start it right now. Jeez. All right, everyone. If you like our show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or our TikTok account at the Comics Collective. Or you can find each of us at our personal accounts at Dallas underscore comics at Ann Comics and at LexiLou underscore
2: comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're living, listening and give us a five-star review. And if you write something down, we'll read it off on the show.
0: And, finally, if you have any questions or comments for us, please feel free to email us anytime at thecomicscollective at gmail.com.
1: Dallas, do you want to tell the folks what we're doing?
2: Next week, I incepted Anne's mind, folks. We are covering the entirety of Dan Slott's Superior Spider-Man. That's right, dolts. The die is cast. We're reading real comics next oh week. Oh my god! Oh, um, I do
1: like Denslott, so I there might be hope.
2: I'm telling you, Alexis. Do you know what the Spear of Spider Man is? No. Doctor Octopus is mm-hmm. dying, and mm-hmm. instead of dying, he goes, bitch. I said what I said, and he switches brains with Peter Parker. And Peter Parker dies in Dr. Octopus's body, and Dr. Octopus becomes Spider Man. Gasp! For 30 issues. And I'm sorry I just spoiled that for you, but,
1: but, this <laughs> is like, pretty integral to the story.
2: No, that's like the opening. <laughs> but it was a huge spoiler for everyone. Amazing Spider Man, number 700 Peter Parker dies. And Sp- Amazing Spider-Man is canceled. And the <laughs> Superior Spider-Man runs for the next three years. Damn. It's incredible. It's okay. one of my favorite runs of all okay. time. It's I will, so good. I will
1: read about the Bug Boy.
2: Or and it's got, got, a bunch of my, got a bunch of my favorite artists of all time in there. Oh, oh, it's so good.
0: Okay. We Text before read you read, boy. though.
2: Because you do got to read a few Amazing Spider-Mans before you read Superior Spider-Man. I think it's like six ninety eight. Just
0: text me, and I'll give you a reading okay. order. Okay. Moderate homework for your homework, but you'll be fine.
1: That's all right. A side quest, if you will.
0: I remember me and my um, my best friend at the time reading Amazing Spider-Man 700 when it came out because we we actually went and picked up those issues leading up to it, and we like never picked up comics when that was happening. I think that was like right before I got into them, and yeah, that was um certainly a twist at the end. I rem- he read it first, and I remember him saying, "Oh shit." he got to that end part, I'm like, wait, what happened? He's like, you're not going to believe it. So, I'm excited. I've only read the first volume of this run. It's only up from there. Like that,
2: every every single person's like, Cancel Superior Spider-Man! Is literally the (laughs) one issue where Dr. Octopus is like, I can have sex with Mary Jane! And she's like, no, you can't. And he's like, don't! And then moves on and everybody and their dog gets to that issue and is like this book is problematic and if you like it you're problematic. And I'm like just read some more. He <laughs> was a villain.
0: <laughs> it gets better.
2: Uh,
0: okay. Thank you everyone. Have a good night or morning or whatever. It's time is crazy. <laughs> All right.
2: Good luck with tentacle monsters and voluptuous women. Bye.
0: Bye. (laughs)